0: Discussion over dinner. This is our home. I came to live. community church and the pack center all right welcome everyone to our final live discussion over dinner of the 2018 season we will pick it back up in uh, 2019 in january we'll have another live one and we do plan on having two recorded events that we will put out on facebook and youtube and all those things In November and December, but they won't be live events like these are. Today, we're gonna have a wonderful conversation on civic engagement and the political process. We've assembled a really, really well-qualified and entertaining panel and they're going to hopefully inform us all about various things that we might not have known about before you entered in here so that we can be a more informed community and you will have the chance to text in questions obviously now before we get into the conversation a couple quick thank yous i want to thank joel crane for being our chef tonight thank you so much joel yes And thank you to Pastor Becky and Duck Meinhard and Grace Crane for helping him as well in the kitchen. Good job, guys. Uh, Grace Crane is also running our camera, and she is interning for us. She does a lot to make these events happen. Each event, she'll put together small clips that we put out. She gives me content sheets so that I don't have to do all the hard work. So essentially, all the heavy lifting Grace is doing now. So thank you so much, Grace. Thank you to our, our leadership team member, Kelly Tanger, who helps and content as well, and uh, Molly Cooper, who uh, got all of our drinks and stuff ready for us tonight, and Gwen Hollinger, who set up for all of your tables and things like that. And before we start, I want to invite you to listen to our new project that we have called The Summer Friends Podcast. Each episode is a one hour of equal parts storytelling, interview, and education. We upload those on Wednesdays to wherever you get your podcast from. It's now on Spotify as well. So iTunes and TuneIn and Google Play and now on Spotify. This last Wednesday was our first episode and I interviewed Mayor Mark Krentz. Next week is Lee Morris. Then the following week, we're going to talk with Adam Wilson about small business in LaPorte. His perspective as someone who's not from LaPorte, he's from California, who started a business in LaPorte and what he sees in this community. We recorded that this week and it's a a wonderful conversation. So I hope you listen to it. I hope you learn about others in the community and we can increase our capacity to care for each other. So subscribe and share if you will. Let me introduce our eminently qualified panel. Not only qualified because they've got the resume, but... They're also looking very sharp tonight. He is a lifelong resident of LaPorte County and co-chairman of the Better Government Study Group. He helped launch Leadership LaPorte, serving as a founding board member, staff, volunteer, and program facilitator over the history of the organization. He has served as a board member and executive committee member of the Unity Foundation of LaPorte County, LaPorte uh, County Park Foundation, and the Hannah Lions Club. Recently, the Indiana Leadership Association presented him with the Marjorie Klink Award, an award given to someone who has advanced community leadership principles across the state. Will you join me in welcoming Jim Jessup? She is professor of political science and campus director of the American Democracy Project at Indiana University, South Bend. She teaches courses in American politics with an emphasis on political behavior and organizes nonpartisan voter outreach initiatives, including a civic leadership academy and candidate debates for municipal, county, state, and national political races. She is the 2011-2012 Elden F. Lundquist Fellow, the highest campus honor bestowed upon a meritorious IUSB faculty member who has demonstrated excellence. Excellence in teaching, scholarly achievement, and diversified public service. She is a seven-time recipient of the competitive Trustees Teaching Award, an inductee of the All IU Faculty Colloquium on Excellence in Teaching, and a recipient of the All IU W. George Pinnell Award for Outstanding Service. Her role as a civic educator has been recognized through resolutions and awards from the IUSB Alumni Association, South Bend City Council, League of Women Voters, Chamber of Commerce, Indiana Campus Compact, and. American American Association of State Colleges and Universities. Dr. Benyon's scholarship has been published in multiple books, academic journals, and newsletters. Her recent work includes two co-edited books entitled Teaching Civic Engagement from Student to Active Citizen and Teaching Civic Engagement Across the Disciplines, both of which are free, available online. My favorite part. She also recently co-authored an article published in the Washington Post about how to engage younger voters. As if that wasn't enough. She's also the host of WNIT's Politically Speaking, a program she has hosted since January 2013. Will you please join me in welcoming Dr. Elizabeth Bennion. He was born in western Pennsylvania. He's a Marine Corps veteran and was stationed in Albany, Georgia during the civil rights demonstrations and vividly remembers seeing Dr. King, Jesse Jackson, Andy Young, Ralph Abernathy, and the other leaders of the civil rights movement. He's a graduate of Cleveland State University, Northwestern University, and Roosevelt University, where he he achieved his MFA. During his career, he worked as a banker and consultant, including time with Continental Bank in Chicago. Since retiring in Michigan City, he has taught freshman English at Ivy Tech and spent significant time on the board of the League of Women Voters of LaPorte County, the Better Government Study Group, and the Indiana Coalition for Independent Redistricting. Will you join me in please welcoming Sam Harnish? Thanks so much for being here, guys. I'm excited about this. You might not be aware of this, but there's an election right around the corner. I don't know if you've heard on the radio or TV. Okay, so by the way, the best thing about going to a streaming world is that I don't have to listen to political ads anymore because we stream our TV, we stream our radio. Uh, We have not been getting on any of the political ads this season, so we've been able to keep our sanity. But one exciting thing that I'll share with everyone here, as people from State Street know, my wife became a citizen this year, and this is going to be her first election ever, Romania or America voting. So we're very excited about that. So let's get into a couple topics of discussion. And again, I encourage you no question is, I don't know who asked them, so you can ask whatever question you want. And if you're streaming with us, again, the number is there. Please, please ask them. It's all allowed. If it's not appropriate, I won't ask it for you. That's why it filters through me. Please ask the questions and we'll get into your questions in about a half hour. Uh, let's start with Dr. Beniam. The election is right around the corner. There are many local races up for grabs. One of the challenges for people that, especially in the local races, are wanting to know how can they find out information on the the races that might not be the national races that are local? You know, there's all kinds of, I think there's county assessor, county council, trustee, state treasurer, state auditor. How do we find this information out?
1: One of the things that's really helpful is the Vote 411 guide that the league is putting out in many communities. So I'm a director, actually, of voter services and education for the League of Women Voters of the South Bend area. And we put out uh, verbatim statements on a range of policy issues by all of those candidates, whether they're running for a township trustee or assessor or a county clerk. And so you not only learn where the candidates stand, but you learn a little bit about what these people actually do by looking at what kinds of questions are asked and the race description. So a number of leagues are doing vote 411, but also hosting candidate forums where you can come out and meet the candidates Uh, and we are doing in, in Elkhart County and St. Joseph County a series of debates, and I know here in Laporte County there are Meet the Candidate forums and candidate debates as well, and so really staying attuned to what the league is doing and what civic groups are doing in terms of Meet the Candidate events is wonderful because you actually hear from the candidates themselves, you can compare them side by side, you can socialize with them at receptions after the events, and really get a sense of who's on your ballot. And so that's something I recommend to everybody. And you can also, in some of the races, you can at least learn a little bit more, educate yourself using the website and figure out what these people do. Uh, These folks are also at the local level, quite accessible. Uh, Some of them have actually said to me, I'm so disappointed. I put my home phone number on every single door hanger and not one person has called me. And so they would be happy to hear from voters to ask more about where they stand and what their plans are for the community.
0: And and I do think that is a a misconception many people have is that uh, your elected officials don't want to hear from you. Uh, It's been my experience and we have elected officials in here tonight um, that either they're very good at pretending like they want to hear from me. Um, or they are honest in that. Now, that doesn't mean they get to do everything I ask them to do or want them to do, but they do listen, um, and I am not afraid to talk at them. Um, so um, I, I want to get into, because uh, one of the questions I get a lot, we've got a couple local races. Um, we're not going to get into specific candidates. If you're waiting, by the way, for us to endorse anybody, that's not happening tonight. Um, sorry. Um How many people here are are going to vote in this election already? Or did anybody already vote? All right. Uh, Some of you did. Okay, so everyone is playing, which is uh, way better than the average, by the way. I think we got 100% participation in here. Uh, Let's go through a couple different positions and anybody can answer this. So you can uh, just speak into your microphone. I want to define some of these positions. I've heard from many, many people. I don't know what this person does so i don't know how to vote for them somebody here explain if you can if you if you want
2: to anyway what does a county assessor do you don't want to hear from me on that County Assessor, yeah, that's interesting. Um, Of course, um, previously, up until just a few years ago, um, all townships had their own assessors, and now all that's gone to uh, the county assessor. So all assessing within the county now is done uh, by the county assessor. Like what kind of assessing, Jim? Okay, uh, property values, I guess I'd have simply said, uh, basically property values that, that, uh, of course, lead to uh, taxes and tax rates and those kind of things eventually but um uh, again uh, what's it take to be a good count a good uh, assessor quite frankly um our current system doesn't require any kind of special training any kind of uh, special um uh, experience uh, Literally, um, I could be a county assessor and that'd be a disaster because I don't know anything about it, literally. Um, so our system uh, there, again, I think uh, uh, is somewhat lacking in that um, you can be a county assessor or clerk or treasurer or on and on and on or state, whatever it is. And quite often um, you need um, the majority of votes and very little other requirements that uh, that are needed for that. Personally, I think that's one of the faults that we have is with our entire system is that um, um, anyone can do any one of those jobs without any special kind of uh, uh, training, education, or background.
1: I believe that some of the counties have um, tried to address that issues in St. Joseph County to run for re-election as an assessor. You do have to have achieved your level three uh, assessors certification. So some of the counties have tried to address that. But similarly, you could be a coroner and have no medical training right
0: (laughs) you're going to be able to vote for an assessor this election but there's only one person running so (laughs) county council what does a county council person do
3: well we have a county council is the board that pretty much rules the county financially Uh, they have to act on anything that spends money so
0: they control the budget
1: Right. And a lot of things that come up when we hold the council forums are things like, should the county be involved in leaf pickup? Uh, What about funding levels for county parks? There are a number of things that your counties do that you you may not live within a municipal city limits. And so then you're even more, should be even more interested in what the county is doing. But even for folks living in the city, a county and a city might have different smoking ban policies, Mm -hmm. for example. And so particularly for those who fall outside of the city limits, what the county is doing for you can be really important because it determines uh, where your tax money is going and what kind of services you receive.
0: So what's the difference between the county council and the county commissioner commission?
1: I kind of like to think about it as the legislative and the executive branch. The commission serves as a kind of executive branch they have to approve quite a bit and the funding for what's done uh by your county council. And so that uh body, which is much smaller, often really is that final say of, okay. Will this money be approved? And so contracting for trash, contracting for leaf pickup, all of these kinds of things uh, come down to uh, negotiation between your council and your commissioners.
0: The county council and county commission, do they, are you seeing them, do they work well then with the municipalities or is there, do you see good collaboration and
2: cooperation or No. Actually, uh, they're, they're, they're quite separate, uh, and they don't do a lot of collaboration between cities, towns, and county uh, levels of government. Um, they don't have regular meetings together. Um, they will occasionally meet together and, and discuss or do some strategic planning or, uh, uh future planning kind of things. Um, but generally speaking, each, uh, each of them, uh, really does their own thing, um, Uh, That's one of the priorities of our Better Government Study Group is that we encourage much more collaboration and working together of all levels of government within the county. Uh, We'd like to see that happen a lot more and be a little more structured, regular meetings and that they get together and talk and plan out things and more specifically actually do a vision for the future and a very comprehensive, all-inclusive, strategic plan for the county also.
1: I think one of the things that's been interesting that has emerged in St. Joseph County, Indiana, is this question about who should pay their, who's paying their fair share or who's paying too much. So for example, police protection, uh, we're protected both by our city police forces, as well as the county sheriff's office and the county law enforcement. Uh, And what happens is In the case of uh, St. Joe, but also other counties as well, the county might be paying almost half, so like 47% of the fees, but they get a tiny fraction of calls compared to the city. And so part of that cooperation could be figuring out resource distribution and how to distribute it fairly and who should be doing what. And uh, I think it's exactly right. There doesn't, we don't tend to hear those kinds of conversations.
0: What's a state treasurer do and what should I look for in a state treasurer to vote for?
1: I mean, I think pretty much what a treasurer of any organization does, right? Tracks the money and makes sure that you're actually, your, your state doesn't go into extreme debt and that the books are balanced and, and you're tracking exactly what's happening and where things are going and that they're going where they're supposed to go and your debts are paid. And so it's a state-level version of what we often have in many of our civic organizations where we have to serve much the same function.
0: In state auditor, is it? like, no, I I got it, Um, because I don't think many of us do know, honestly. And so we're gonna go to the polls very soon here, and we're gonna be asked to vote for people in four positions. That I honestly, I'll have to pick someone based on their name. Kind of sounds nice. Um,
2: That there uh, again. I've I've been working on this and and looking at these things for obviously a lot of years and I strongly believe that is that positions like that need to be appointed and not voted on. I feel totally inadequate going in and trying to vote for either either a county treasurer or a state treasurer um not really understanding what they do and whether they're qualified or they're experienced or not. I just don't feel comfortable doing that. I would rather th- have uh, someone um, I'd rather it be appointed position uh, rather than voted on. I feel like, like we have like a cabinet level position for the governor th- that that someone I'm not going to say who does it. Mm-hmm. But uh, that that but I really believe those kind of positions need to be appointed uh, because we go blindly in there. I go blindly in there and cannot vote intelligently not knowing those kinds of things and not only what they do, but are they qualified and are they the per- best person and what will they do uh, uh, to make changes? I, I, i just strongly believe that we need to change a lot within our system and that's one of them. All right. We're going to start calling you radical Jim here. Um, <laughs> that's well known.
0: Yeah. Elizabeth, what, what, what do you think about that? Do you think some of these positions should be, or would you prefer them to be, elected positions? I mean, you study democracy, you've got, and it's okay to disagree with Jim, I do it all the time. So um, what, what do you think?
1: Well, in general, I, I like to have people be held accountable by the voters, but it is true in the case of an auditor, for example. Many people serving in these positions have no CPA, they have no accounting background of any kind, and we've seen multi-million dollar mistakes And I'll be a little careful so I don't step in and I've gotten some pushback already. But uh, yeah, I mean, we see huge mistakes. And part of that may be the fact that you're not having somebody who is elected at a higher level who will be held accountable for uh, the state as a whole and then wants to get those most experienced, technically qualified people in those jobs. Um, So, you know, some of these I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure. I mean, it, it might be OK um, as long as then the person who appoints them is elected and is held accountable for whatever they do in those very technocratic positions.
3: Sam, yeah. I think uh, one of the problems we have with a lot of these elected positions are that a large percentage of the voting population is exactly in the position that you said you were at,
0: that Um, Um, uh, Young and ignorant?
3: (laughs) Well, at least at the point where uh, we don't know anything about the people that are running, except, well, I used to live in Cook County. So in Cook County, the parties would search all over the place for people with Irish last names to put them on the ballot because the Irish last name always added Oh, five to 10 points (laughs) in in the returns. So if you know that nobody's going to pay attention to the qualifications, then the parties are going to search for popular names, and popular names are what you're going to get.
1: And we do see phenomena like the fact that the first name on the ballot has an advantage, uh, and that's one reason you have parties fighting for the majority party to be able to control the list, or they'll do it alphabetically, but you're potentially benefiting people with their
3: (laughs) names closer to the alphabet, right? Uh,
1: But I I go back to Thomas Jefferson for the most part, who says if the people are not wise enough to uh, exercise this discretion, the solution is not to take the franchise from them, but to educate them. And so I think that's... What I've made my life's work to do, Mm -hmm. and what uh, the folks sitting up here are trying to do, which is to uh, help people get the information they need to make good decisions. One of the problems is people will just look at the initial by somebody's name, and in in some of these local cases, that doesn't mean very much. You'd you'd be better off knowing somebody's actual qualifications because they're not really making policy; they're doing a very technical job.
0: Yeah, and I can attest again. We've we've got some uh, officials in here that um p- party seems to um dwindle as it gets more local do yeah, i mean um and so i i would hate to see anybody vote along party lines especially amongst local elections because um I, I, my experience anyway is that it doesn't necessarily
2: translate in the same way it might on federal issues you would be amazed when you look at the statistics from Laporte County on what percentage of uh, one party voters that we have in Laporte County. It's a huge number every what, year. What, what do you think? What give me a guess, maybe Jim, like roughly. Are we talking sixty, seventy percent? No, no, not that high, but it's it's I'm sure it's in the range of twenty to thirty yeah. percent. Yeah. It's wow. big in Laporte County. Um and and of course um I'm always amazed at that uh, um One of my favorite sayings that I use all the time is no one has all the answers. Everyone has a piece of the answer. That means anybody can provide good information.
1: This issue of straight ticket voting actually is important this year now that the state has changed the ballot regarding Straight ticket voting. So, although you can still do straight ticket voting at the top, it will no longer go all the way down your ballot. And so, if you want to vote for your township level people, your township trustees, you need to individually fill those in, even though they are running partisan. Similarly, if you try to just vote Democrat or Republican straight ticket, you're going to miss out if you have school board candidates, which most of us do, uh, because they're running nonpartisan. And so, it is important to read all the way down the ballot. Uh, because otherwise folks might say, oh, look, I, I can just pick one. That's quick and easy. And they may be used to doing that for a presidential election and thinking, ha, huh, I got the big races that I care about. But n- now they've missed the opportunity to make their voice heard in a large number of races.
2: I didn't know that that was a, a change that was made. I didn't know that. It does say that on the ballot. However, it's a nice, tiny print. <laughs> 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 All right, let's get into... Um
0: First, first, um, what does what does a secretary of state do? And then we're going to get into an issue that's involving the secretary of states around the country, but also in Indiana, uh, voter purging, because that's a topic that w- we've been asked about. And I thought I'd give it to you guys. So what's a secretary of state do? And then we'll talk about the um seems to be a fairly popular conversation right now about voter purging. I yield to the professor on that.
1: (laughs) Well, if you go to your Secretary of State's website, you'll see that what they do is actually very broad. So they do have a business division, for example, and they're going to make sure that your businesses are licensed and uh, have certifications if needed, and they're really going to, so they have a lot of regulatory power there. But the big thing for our purposes tonight that they do is they also have the elections division, and they control your state's election rules. Now, certainly counties might have different types of voting machines. They might decide to go with vote centers or not, but your secretary of state has a tremendous amount of power. It was under uh, Todd Rokita's secretary of state, for example, where we saw the introduction of voter ID laws. So the statewide election laws are very much administered by your secretary
0: of state okay, so again there's these there's this broad conversation happening in various states um if and I'll try to summarize it as accurately as i accurately as I can, but please correct me if I'm wrong. The question becomes what do we do with inactive voters, people that have not voted in an election or two um or in three or four, how do we clean up the voter rolls, and what's happening is you see if you've not voted in an election or two, I think two is probably the predominant one, people are, their their voter registration is essentially being eliminated or, you know, they're no longer registered to vote. They show up to vote even though they weren't, able, they didn't vote in the last two elections and they're no longer registered. Is that a fair, what,
2: yeah? Yeah? I believe that's correct. And I think I read very recently that, since the last election, somewhere near 500,000 Indiana voters were purged since the last election. So those of you uh, that raised your hands, you think you're voting. <laughs> that's right. So, and and again, there's been, there was a big push. Of course, it's too late to register now, but uh, there was a big push on getting that done. You could go online, I know, even and check if you were registered or not and register there if you need to and that kind of thing. So it really is relevant relatively easy to do. I think it should be easier yet, but uh, relatively easy to do. But did you do it? Um, I frankly didn't. <laughs> um, but I, uh, you know, you may end up uh, somewhere near 500,000 people uh, are no longer registered. And some of them probably thought that they still are.
1: Yes. Uh, the voter purge They use cross-check, and the problem is that that system is not perfect. So they're looking at your cross-check, a system called cross-check. It looks at your first name and your last name and your birth date. But, of course, that's not a perfect match. And so they may think you're registered in another state when you're not. Uh, And what they have to do is show that you did not participate in the last two election cycles. They send you a postcard, and that is returned to them, which signals to them that perhaps you don't live at that address. And the reason, one valid reason to clean the voter rolls is how do we track voter turnout when we say, okay, mm-hmm. what is the eligible number of voters that we're using as our denominator when we're trying to track voter turnout? The other is who you've ever canvassed, whether partisan or nonpartisan, you'll see 17 people at the same address and it's not <laughs> very helpful. Um, so they wanted to clean the rolls. The problem is they took a lot of people off who should not have been removed. And we have in a case of two people I know personally uh, who, in fact, with whom I'm friends and who vote in every election, and they were purged. And so this w- is not a perfect process. So indianavoters.com, and you can check your status and make sure you're still there because it is a real concern.
0: And we'll put that in our—we'll um, we'll make a note of that and put that in our—we uh, l- always update this afterwards with any links or anything like that, and we'll put that in there as well. Um, indianavoters.com, you said?
1: And don't be scared by the dot com. So I know you do a lot of tech stuff. And one thing that your listeners may know is that com stands for commercial. And then you think someone might try to sell you something. But that is actually a redirect to indianavoters.in.gov. So it is the official Secretary of State voter portal. It's just easier to remember to say indianavoters.com.
2: Just remember that you can't register anymore for this election. So uh, you can go and check and see, but it won't help you for uh, uh, the election coming up
1: which is a choice that your state legislature has made because in some other states you can register the same day election day registration. And those states do have much higher turnout without higher voter fraud.
0: Okay. All right. Um, so let's, let's get into, um, Sam, let's get into redistricting. I know this is a topic. Fun topic. Yeah. (laughs) I don't want you to fall asleep on me over there, buddy boy. (laughs) So in Indiana, Um, eight out of nine elections for the United States House of Representatives were won by margins of victory of 20% or greater. Why is that?
3: Oh, it's totally accidental. (laughs) Uh, Well, to try to make this as short as possible, we are all signed up on various social media outlets. Twitters, the Facebooks, the all of those. Uh, on top of that, we have a lot of uh, data from the Census Bureau. And over the past 10, 15 years, we got some very high powered, very fast computers. And there is a company that put all of that together and his basically got to the point where they can tell down to probably a block what the vote is going to be for each party on that block. So uh, then you take that to the legislature, and the legislature has to draw lines for legislative districts in the state or congressional districts. And what they do is they draw little lines around the people that will vote for them. Um, It has been said, as much as we like to promote voting, it has been said that the outcome of every election is now determined by the people who draw the lines. Uh, A nice little... Sidebar to kind of show you how things can be affected this way. Uh, There was a state senator in Illinois who uh, wanted to run against his local congressman. Well, the local congressman had never really been challenged that much until this election. And this uh, state senator, uh, you know, he came pretty close and it just happened to be right before a redistricting. And lo and behold, uh, when the maps came out, there was this little one-block area that got moved from that district to the next district. Well, as it turns out, that state senator was Barack Obama, and he ended up as president of the United States because they moved him into a district that, preserved the congressman's seat, but it put him into a district where his politics was quite popular. That is, the, that is the power of redistricting, that when you can get down to the block level, the street level, and make those kinds of determinations, then there is a real question about how much impact as individual voters, we can really have. And that's why we have been working so hard to get the redistricting process out of state legislatures so that the legislators aren't drawing their own districts.
1: Right. So, should the voters choose their elected officials or should the elected officials choose their voters? I have an, an example from Indiana. Uh, which is when I was fairly new to the state, our, our congressperson was Tim Romer, and he was challenged by somebody named Chris Chicola, who went on to serve in Congress. Chocola had attacked Congressman Romer for not living in his district because Romer lived in Virginia with his family. When I worked in D.C., I lived in Virginia, too. You take the subway in to the National Mall, it's very easy, uh, but that had been a big campaign point for Chicola. So before the next time, at this time, the Democrats controlled the state legislature, and it's the state legislature that draws those lines, both for your state, but also for your congressional districts. The Democrats cut Chicola out of the district. So would he run again, he would now not meet his own qualification <laughs> of being in the district. He could see it from his window and wave at people in the district, but he was not in the district it's it's just a nice little anecdote that shows the the <laughs> that illustrates this point
0: it also shows that this could happen in both parties too correct? absolutely yeah.
1: absolutely and you see that whoever is controlling the legislature uh, we see malapportionment in favor of their party whether democrats or republicans
2: and of course once it's done it's done for 10 years so it's it's a far long-reaching effect also it's not just the next election, it it goes on for several elections, of course, where it has an effect. Um, And, and the, and this, this thing called gerrymandering, has a such a, I think a far reaching effect on, on many things. People say, people often say, why do you know, why don't you don't don't, Why don't you vote? My vote doesn't count. Well, if you're in one of those districts, yeah, you're right. It really doesn't count because uh, there's not a chance that your vote is going to make a difference in that because of the way the district is set up. It also has a huge effect, I think, on keeping good candidates from running. Um, they know that they can't possibly win in that district because of party situation, of course. And so they're not going to run. It's keeping us from, uh, <laughs> from making a difference as a voter, and it's keeping our choices limited um, because good people won't run with that situation. So it, it's, 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 a, it's a basis of democracy, I think, that's gone wrong that we've got to fix somehow. You might be the worst
0: rock-the-vote representative that I've ever seen, Jim. <laughs>
2: <laughs> what I'm there for.
3: <laughs> I, would, I would like to uh, add something to what Jim said. We think <clears throat> that redistricting is run every once every 10 years, and in most states it is. However, there are states like Texas, where when Tom DeLay was Speaker of the House, he looked at his Republicans in the House and said, I don't have enough. We've got to redistrict Texas. So they went down mid-decade and redistricted Texas so that he could get six more Republican congressmen out of Texas. Uh, there are several states that don't really have a law that says you can't redistrict multiple times. One of those things that we don't really think about very often, but it's it's just there.
1: Yeah, you sometimes hear, and in fact, your state legislators will say this. They say this quite frequently on the television program. In fact, oh, Indiana is not so bad. We have great districts. Um, But if you look at seven of the nine U.S. House districts, the governorship, six of the eight additional executive positions, 70 of 100 state house positions, 41 out of 50 of our state Senate. uh, So it's overwhelming supermajority Republican. Well, we're a red state, so that must just be representative. Well, not so much if you look at Governor Holcomb winning 51 percent of the vote. Senator Young, 52%, right? This, the proportionality is just not there. And so we are a red state, but nowhere in near the percentages that we see in the actual representation. And and that's what has people concerned. And again, the Democrats were in control and uh, until t- 2010, a lot of people don't <laughs> remember that anymore. Um, and they did that same kind of uh, gerrymandering for partisan advantage so,
0: so what why why not because if, if for me and, and I think probably for most people just sitting here let's just make this let's just solve this problem and just make an independent commission to that way we're all we're, it's all fair right we don't have to go back and forth Republican. I mean obviously you still have to revisit these every census as different communities develop and things like that but what what is the big pushback other than the, we don't want to lose our control.
3: The big pushback is the legislators don't want to lose the ability to draw their own districts. There are uh, states, mostly in the West, that do have independent uh, redistricting commissions. Um, exactly how those commissions are appointed or elected or volunteered is different in various states. Um, but there are those. Uh, there was uh, in the the uh, Supreme Court the last time there was a case from Wisconsin that tried to prove uh, that there is such a thing as political gerrymandering. Uh, it had been adjudicated several times, and the the general response was. Well, yeah, we can see it, but we don't really know how you can measure it. We don't know how you tell that this is really political gerrymandering. It's not racial gerrymandering. It's not you know any of those things. Um, there is a system that uh, has been <sighs> proposed Uh, uh, that basically measures the difference in voting percentages for different different candidates and measures what they call the excess vote. That's the vote in addition to 50% plus one that someone won by. And what you will find is that In gerrymandered districts, one one party or the other will have a very large number. And when you compare that to the general population, you can come up with some very good estimates on what that breakdown should have been but wasn't. And you can pretty well lay that to the the idea of gerrymandering. That made it back to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court didn't rule against it, but they did um, send it back to the states for more adjudication at that level. So maybe that will come back again.
2: it's just not an easy thing to do either if you think i mean we we have to uh we have to keep the principle of one person one vote which means every district needs to have roughly the same number of people in it um uh, you have all kinds of boundaries of course you have rivers and you have counties and you have districts and you you know there's all kinds of uh, things that affect it it's just not an easy thing to do uh it's the main thing is that it needs to be done independently and not totally controlled by any one party.
0: And we'll, we'll move on here real quick. Um, if people are wanting to follow developments here in Indiana on how that's happening, obviously your Secretary of State has something to do with this. Where can they go to follow some of this development? Who, who's working on this?
3: Uh, the Indiana Commission. Oh, It's not a commission.
0: Uh, it's always a commission.
3: The, it's always a commission. <laughs> There's a group uh, basically sponsored by Common Cause and the League of Women Voters uh, that is working on, has been for years. Unfortunately, I've been driving to Indianapolis too many times, um, trying to get independent uh, redistricting in Indiana. The drawback in Indiana is that we can't have citizens' referendums. Uh, the state doesn't allow that. Um, you can't get a congressional, uh, a constitutional amendment or anything else without the legislature itself doing it. Uh, so our only task, which you may consider a little hard, is to convince the legislature itself that they want to give up redistricting for themselves. Uh, That has not gone over extremely well in the legislature.
0: Does the Indiana Constitution play a role in redistricting, or would the Constitution have to be attended?
3: I don't believe the Constitution would actually have to be uh, uh, amended. There's an argument that some people make that say, yeah, it would have to be. Um, There is a rule that says the legislature has to be responsible for redistricting. That's federal. But there have been rulings that said commissions that are somehow appointed by or controlled under... A legislative process uh, that those are good enough. Uh, the Arizona case was the one that that pretty well decided that at the federal level. Uh, so no, i don't think the Constitution has to be changed. Uh,
0: is that is that, ag- is that agreed upon, though?
1: Well, so th- this is a bit of an open legal question, but it does seem as long as the legislature was involved in perhaps approving the final maps put forth by the commission or appointing the commission itself, that you probably wouldn't have to change the state constitution. But right now it does say that the legislature approves the maps, in which case you'd have to go through two successive uh, legislatures with one election in between and then send it to the people and get a majority vote. So it's a long... Uh, process. Uh, I know we want to move on to things uh, besides redistricting. The coalition uh, is the Indiana Coalition for Independent Redistricting or the Indiana Coalition for Redistricting Reform. They've gone by both of those names. And that gap is called the efficiency gap. And Using that mathematical standard, we should be at 60 seats instead of 70 for the majority party and seven um, instead of seven versus two, we'd be at six versus three for our congressional delegation. So you're not talking about changing your majority party in Congress or your state legislature, but you are talking about bringing your numbers more in line with the actual uh, percentage of people casting votes in the electorate.
0: All right, let's get into the questions that you guys have. Um, this is a uh, uh, Dr. Ben, I think this is for you. Um, I, I don't know, but um, because you have hosted debates, you have been a part of this, um, how are questions chosen for the candidates?
1: So I am a member of the Indiana Debate Commission, and we are about to have our second u s. Senate race, and you can submit questions for those Senate candidates uh, by sending them into the Indiana Debate Commission website. And we look at all those questions and we try to get as wide a range of topics as possible. We do look at. We like to have some people come live, so we look at your location. Are you within 90 minutes of the debate location? Might you be able to ask your question live? Uh, and we try to get as, mi- as many diverse voices as possible there. For our local debates and state legislative debates, uh, it's similar. The sponsors often have some topic areas. I will have enough backup questions to run every debate that I moderate which is a lot of them, um, even if not one person had a question that was relevant. So if you came to learn and didn't have a question. But that has not been the case at all this election season. Uh, we have almost exclusively relied upon the note cards. So League of Women Voters is a big fan of note cards uh, because you don't get people just standing up and thinking that they can just use this for to get on their soapbox and lecture at or yell at the candidates. And so they have a note card and they write their questions and the league screens them just to make sure they're relevant to the office. They're not personal attacks, no profanity. And as long as it meets those criteria, it comes up to me and then I will combine them, I will order them, I will try to make it logical, and it all happens live for our debate. So that's how we do that, and we just get in as many different topics as possible to really get at what the voters want to hear from those candidates.
0: So as someone, and this, this, is, this is me asking now, because I, I would think that on your end, being politically engaged, uh, you know, you're asking candidates questions, and they're giving you campaign answers. Does that ever frustrate you?
1: Well, that's one reason I now moderate so many debates is because we did originally try to get folks with big names who, well, maybe I I don't know, should I say this? We'd get local news anchors who would be willing to do it, and most weren't.
0: Oh, you can throw news anchors under the But but those who were
1: didn't ever want to cut the candidates off, and they also didn't want to make them answer the question, and so the voters would get really frustrated, and they started saying... When you substitute, you actually have them answer the question. Could you just do them all? And, and, and so now I need to train more people, right? Um, but so there is a way to get around that, which is to have some specific questions. And also when they give the general generic answer, you just say politely, so you, for the record, you would or would not vote for that piece of legislation, mm, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or, oh, I, it seems that you need 10 more seconds. It, I didn't hear your answer to the second part of that question. And, and as long as you, you equally yeah. a- apply it, um, it's fine, right? That's that's not being partisan, it's not being biased, it's uh, being respectful to the voters. And uh, if, if, so for example, I was involved in negotiations with other stations hosting debates recently, and they didn't give that level of discretion to the moderator, what they can do still is to do a general announcement Uh, so you kind of put the candidates on notice to say, these are the questions from our voters. We encourage the candidates to answer them, but I prefer to have some discretion to the moderator to actually follow up with individual candidates and the audience tends to appreciate that too.
0: Yeah. I, uh, talk about, uh, (laughs) I remember one of the governor races, not this last one, but all of them were being asked a question, same question about education and the same answer answers, all three of them, we got to stop teaching to the test, right? I mean, because that's just the, the obvious answer, but there was no policy behind it. And I'm thinking, well, everyone agrees we need to stop teaching to the test. Where, what do we mean by that? So if you challenge that, good for you. Thank you for making it a lot more watchable for the rest of us. Um, here's a question. Uh, with each election style, negative ads and campaigning seem more and more prominent on both sides. They obviously do it because it's proven effective. But it seems to me, the the person asking this, that it has had a negative impact culturally, especially on social media. What steps can voters take to draw a line in in the sand with regard to negative campaigning? How can we show our disapproval in a way that's meaningful to those who choose to run? It's a good the question. Simple by the simple
3: answer would be don't for don't vote for the people that run them. But now it's you would basically be saying I can't vote for anybody. Um, the uh, the best thing we can do, I think, is to look for extended statements by candidates. Uh, look for written position papers. L- don't just listen to TV and radio. Because um, everything there has to be short. It's got to be 30 seconds or 60 seconds or a soundbite. And it has to be practiced so that the candidate who is doing these kinds of negative advertising can't pull a clip of a couple words out of something you said and make a negative ad out of it. Um, I believe if you get in touch with the candidates themselves and go to local forums where these candidates show up, that you will get a much more honest appraisal of what the candidate is for and against and what kind of person this is.
0: So what about, though, the? I I enjoy that we get to have a conversation about, I think, heavy political matters without getting partisan, hopefully, anyway. What do we do, though, when so much culturally doesn't allow this to happen without a lot of the... Because it kind of filters down a little bit, right? Um, So is there... Do you just turn it off and say, okay, you know what? I'm not going to listen to the rhetoric. I'm not going to listen to the campaign ads. I'm not going to listen to the TV interviews. I'm just going to go and read what I can. You know, and, and essentially then just t- use that as the filter of negative language um, or because like you said, if we, if we don't vote for people who have negative ads, we just we just won't vote for anybody.
2: Again, we come back to always negative, negative um, campaigning works. That's the sad part. I, I I hear that over and over again, but it does that that's somewhat different from a very local level to a much state national kind of level i think um i think uh, a negative campaigning on a local level uh, isn't as bad as it is as it goes up the up the ladder um big picture personally again here I go again okay uh big picture we have to limit the 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 amount of money that goes into campaigns and 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 uh campaigning in elections we also have to limit the time that campaigning is allowed those two big pictures i think are absolutely uh, re- really important which could be done really relatively easily um and and if we if we kind of limit the money and the time um some of the negative campaigning at least it's a shorter <laughs> put it that way right we don't have to listen to it as long uh but I, I just big picture those are two things i would love to see is are those two things uh the negative campaigning i i don't know we have to there are so many variables in that who is it is that person the best candidate or not? Just because they negative, they may say some negative things about an opponent, they still be and might be the best candidate that's going to represent me. How do you decide that? They're, it's not an easy thing to say, just stop doing it.
0: Do you think they're so negative because they need hugs? <laughs> yeah?
3: We, we would hope. <laughs> uh, the The question that comes up is, again, Exactly how do you define a negative campaign ad? Mm-hmm. I mean, what's the difference between something negative and something that is important that someone should say about your opponent? Mm-hmm. And if, if I'm the candidate that someone says something about that I don't want to hear, the first thing I'm going to say is that's negative campaigning. Uh, So you always have a definitional problem, all right? What is negative campaigning? What is political gerrymandering? You know, what are these things? And they are very hard to define, and especially at a legal level.
1: Yeah, so I would just say from the political science literature, when we say that negative campaigns work, what we mean is people are, there have been experiments done on this, and they're more likely to remember the negative campaigns and the negative ads. Um, One of the key points here, though, is that if you all have just positive, I love my mother and apple pie, people don't get much out of those ads. So ads that actually show distinctions between the candidates, which may be negative in tone, saying things that you strongly disagree with, that you think are harming society that your opponent did, can actually be very helpful in cutting through what would otherwise just be generalities uh, and slogans. That's different from an ad hominem attack ad where you're just attacking the person and really not giving any new information. The issue, though, is as much as we'd like it to be easy to get rid of negative ads and we'd like it to be easy to get rid of the um, incredible influence of money in American politics... Our Constitution, which is absolutely a wonderful thing, right, and gives us so many rights and is critically important to protect, also, according to the su- current Supreme Court, right, includes negative ads and campaign spending as a form of free speech. And so it becomes actually very difficult to have clean elections, although some states. Uh, have done this at the more state and local level
0: so um here here's a good question let's say um this was submitted here i show up to vote um and i find out that i get there and i'm not uh my 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 voter registration has been purged or something what can i do or what do i do there do i just walk out flip over a table jesus style what do i do <laughs>
1: Oh, I I love just, you know, turn it over like you're the back of the the temple at time. No. um, So uh, really, though, first of all, make sure that you're really not on that list. The first time I tried to vote in Indiana, I was told you are not on the list. And I said, I am on the list. I know that I'm on the list. And she said, I'm so sorry, but you're not on in my poll book. And I said, I will help you find my name. Because at this point, I'm thinking of my students who I told to vote and to register. And I'm thinking they are going to be leaving. There's a line behind us. If you're told you're not in the book, they're just going to go home. I I began to get quite outraged and I said, I will help you. And the problem was she actually did not know how to find at that time I was living in an apartment and the apartments were separate from the houses and she hadn't been properly trained. Anyway, found the name. So make sure that you're not on there. The provisional ballot should be the last resort, but you should never leave a polling place without casting a provisional ballot. Once you have established that you are at the right polling place, but they should be able to ask and call a supervisor to figure out where you should be voting if you're at the wrong polling place. And if they don't have you on the list, but you think you should be, you can cast a provisional ballot.
0: Um, So you would ask for a provisional ballot when you go there. If you run into complications when you go to vote, it's a good reminder. You can ask for a provisional ballot. They'll take your ballot and work on the research for why things went wrong, Right.
1: Right. And you'll have to go to your county city building and, and yeah, it uh, it. straighten it out, you know, probably after the election is uh, announced. But in a case of a recount or a close race, it's still better than leaving empty handed. OK, here's a
0: question. Um, how, how do we get qualification requirements for elected positions in a county like in LaPorte County to say, OK, we're going to vote for a surveyor? I, th- I think for all I know, I can probably run for county surveyor. Um, that's not that funny. I'm really good at looking at land and being like, looks kind of level. Um, but um, you could be our county sheriff too. Um, I, I rule with an iron fist. Um, <laughs> but um, so how 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 who makes the decision that those positions ought to have requirements or can institute requirements? Is that a state decision? Is that a county decision? Uh, I I think maybe somebody said there's some counties that have already went there. How does that happen? Anybody know?
1: It depends on the level of office and that they represent if they want to add a new requirement.
0: Who, who's they? The county or the? Or the
1: state or the federal government. Okay.
0: All right. So like. It, Most if-
1: of it is at a state level short of. So the, the constitution lays out very specific requirements for president and for house member and for U.S. Senate. But beyond that, it is at the state level.
2: So keep you- in mind that we're working under uh, a constitution from the 1850s. This was set up during that time and all of these offices and the system and everything um, uh, was uh, is was set up in 1850 in the 1850s. It's still what we live under. Yeah. Uh, things have changed slightly since then.
1: Well, it's a good point. And and of course, the Constitution doesn't mention any level besides the federal or the national level and the state level. So all of these local governments are operating under home rule. But the state could, as we see them do, uh, abolish some of these local governments, uh, which there are some townships, for example, that will probably be abolished. Uh, And they can also take over jurisdiction. We see this, for example, in whether or not your city can have a higher minimum wage than the state. The state has said no. Can your city or your county ban plastic bags? The Indiana state legislature decides no. Uh, so there are cases where they use that prerogative to override the local government, but they don't want to deal with trash pickup and recycling. And so uh, they do cede a lot of authority, but, but it's not necessarily guaranteed, yeah.
0: So like you said then, so if if LaPorte County citizens, if the people in here wanted to say, okay, we want requirements for the county surveyor that they have to have just a surveying license or something in order to run, that would be a, you take it up with your state legislator. Yeah.
1: That would be the, that would be the first uh, step and then you could get it
0: uh, statewide. All right. Good question. Um, Why don't more candidates... Uh, Because I did go to vote411, I think, .org. um, Because, again, I'm trying to read as much as I can about the people running. Why and about half of the candidates don't fill anything out? Why is that?
3: I would love to get an answer to that. I know we send out invitations to every candidate in LaPorte County. Uh, gave them a link to their specific spot on vote 411. Um, And maybe half of them actually answered and filled out their questionnaires. Um, The question that you're asking is why? Why aren't candidates more interested in informing the people that are voting for them?
0: Yeah, I guess that's another
3: way of saying that, yeah, Sam. Why isn't that? I wish I knew. <laughs> well, actually, I'm afraid I do know because I think a lot of them rely on their name getting them elected without anybody knowing any much much more than what their name is.
2: My guess is they also do the 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 math and say okay it's going to take me uh 35 minutes to do this and 300 people are going to look at it i don't know what your click rate is on the four, uh, vote 411 locally within lafort county uh i would bet it's pretty low but even if it's i would
0: I would think if you're if you're going online to read vote 411 you're probably an engaged voter that's going to vote so i would think that it would be a good idea to fill those out you candidates
1: So one of the things that we've tried to do in St. Joe County is to raise the stakes a bit. Uh, And so we have all of the contested candidates for the county level, state level and national level races, um, with the exception of one council person who did not run an active campaign. But we send reminder after reminder after reminder. And then the Tribune, South Bend Tribune, said we're going to do a pullout guide and let them know if they don't get it in by this date, they will not be in the guide. So I noticed, for example, that U.S. Senate candidate Mike Braun had not yet responded. And he actually was a state league person rather than local. But I thought, well, Tribune says they're going to publish this. I don't want one of the three Senate candidates not to be in the guide. And that's the first race people see. And so I called the campaign manager directly um, at this point, he needed to get it in that day. By the time I got a copy of the State League's invitation, they were at the rally with Mike Pence in Indianapolis, but they got it in because they knew this was going to be a hard copy guide coming out in the paper. You don't want to be the only candidate when Brenton and Donnelly have both responded and everybody down the ballot. And so it sort of um, change the calculus a little bit, or perhaps they hadn't seen the earlier invitation, but so the more and the more promotion you do, the more you get it out on social media, the more you talk about it, the more they feel like people might actually look at it, but all of us are busy and they do a cost benefit analysis. Um, but we really think vote four one one is wonderful. But it it takes a lot of volunteer labor to if you have to remind and remind
2: candidates. I noticed the Herald Argus, of course, uh, is publishing answers uh, in in the paper, and several candidates did not have answers. They didn't submit anything, and that's very very local, of course. Uh, so it it it's. Uh, Who knows? But uh, it just doesn't happen always. Yeah, this doesn't this. This is, again, just just
0: my personal ignorant opinion. I will say this. But when I see that, it shows me you don't care. Yeah, I mean, well, Um, and I
1: think that's the message to candidates is there are a lot of voters like that. They don't know who to vote for at the local level. And so they're going to definitely feel that the ones who took time to answer those questions May care a little bit more about the race and will be more responsive once elected. Especially
0: as more people are going online, I think to find out about their candidates. And so, I, I, to give a plug for Sam and the League of Women Voters, uh, go on Vote four one one and fill those out so that I know what you, I know what you're about. Um, okay. Um, what do you need to do? Uh, because we have uh, some people in here. Uh, my dad's retired, so let's use him for as an example um and he he helps me out and i'm looking at giving him some more things to do let's say he's going to run for an elected position what would he have to do in order to do that like what wh- where do you start there do you have to get a petition do you you know do you just say do you go to your local party and say hey step aside you know neil Ox is going to run for election like what do you do for which office Um, let's, let's start local. Any of the local offices
3: for local offices, uh, surprisingly, uh, it could be if nobody runs in the primary, you talk to your precinct committeeman and get him to appoint you. Um, that's the easy way around. A lot of this election problem is don't run.
0: (laughs) <laughs> Let, let's say you are gonna run. I don't know if anybody here has run for election or not, but let's say I'm gonna run for county council. I'm not, but let's say again, I'm I'm I am not uh running I am not running for county council. But let's say I would. Wh- where would that start? Do you do I go to the election board? Do I go where where do I what do I do?
3: Uh, you probably wanna talk to the uh party offices. Um whichever party you want to run in, uh, they're going to help you a lot. Um, you need to, for some some offices, you need petitions. Uh, for others, you don't. Uh, it just depends on, again, what office you want to run for. But the place that I would start would always be the head of the party uh, because if you get them behind you, then they will make sure you get to the right place. The
2: on the, right the, day. the county the county uh, clerk's office, I believe, oversees local elections within the county. I know uh, they hand out packets to people. You just go to the county clerk's office and say, "I'm interested in running for this office," and they have a packet of material that they can give you that kind of lays out step one, step two, step three kind of thing. So uh, they, the, you just have to take the initiative to know where to go and when to do it. Uh, That's one thing people uh, often say, oops, too late. You can't do it now. Uh, So you have to know the timing of the, of the, all of that too. And the timing usually starts about January one for the November election. So you got to start really early on that to get your packet of material Certainly talk to the party officials that you uh, will want to run with uh, and uh, and get started. It's a relatively easy thing to do, but you have to get started early, and you have to know where to go and when to go to do it. And then it follows along fairly well.
3: And as several candidates in LaPorte County learned, you can't be a day late filing your papers. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the Secretary of State website has wonderful guides for voters, but also for candidates that have all those deadlines and going to your county clerk again to get that paperwork You can just sign up if you're running for a township or a county level office. Once you get up to state Senate, you're going to have some signatures as well as for congressional races, but you're still going to deliver those to those same locations. Uh, so your county city building or wherever your county clerk is located, they're clerk of the courts, but also control the local
0: elections. Yeah, and uh, real quick, we'll move on to this next question. We don't have too much time left, but um, just in case you're wondering and you're listening, um, the county clerk's office is on the first floor of the courthouse. Uh, Kathy Kroback is our county clerk. The head of the Republican Party is Mitch Ficus. You can contact Mitch. And the head of the Democratic Party in the county is uh, Jim Kimmel. So um, those are the three people you might want to contact if you're interested in running. Um, do you, this is actually just, this is more personal. Okay. This question is for you, uh, submitted here, um, for either, all three of you and you can agree, disagree. Do you believe it's ethical for a person that is already filling a position? So for instance, uh, a secretary of state or something to run for another office while still filling the roles of that other office while running? Or do you think in order to run for an, another election, they ought to resign to run. Thoughts? We're getting a lot of good questions, by the way. We've gotten like 50 questions, and I'm sorry for not getting through them all.
3: I, I find that a, a difficult answer, a question to answer in a lot of ways. Um, it may depend on the office that is held and the office that you're seeking and whether or not, like, like a secretary of state that's running for governor probably shouldn't be the secretary of state because be they're running the elections.
0: Yeah.
3: Um, you know, if if senators couldn't run for president, who in the world would run for president?
0: <laughs> My dad. <laughs> OK, he's retired. Maybe we should let him. <laughs> yeah. No, no, he wouldn't run. He wouldn't run. I wouldn't let him. Yeah, Um, I mean,
1: I think this really does depend on the office. There are offices that if somebody can do the job and do it well and still run in the evenings and weekends and put in the 80-hour weeks or more, then they may be able to do that without shirking their duties. There are also certain races where you cannot uh, do both. So, for example, I moderated the Republican primary debate between U.S. Senate candidates Marlon Stutzman and Todd Young, both were sitting Congress people and one was going to lose their seats. So it was a pretty high stakes primary. But because of the way that you have both the House and the Senate elections, they fall at the same time. They actually had to choose. Uh, And so by running for that position in the Senate, they knew that one of them would be giving up their spot in the House
0: yeah, and I think that's a good good feedback, Sam in that it also, yeah it does depend on the position, Secretary of State, probably not because they're overseeing the election, but
2: um yeah i, I, I bottom line, I want the best people in each office um, and uh, if that one person uh, is uh, decides that they want to run for a different office and they're well qualified and a good person and they have good reasons for doing it, I have no problem with it. That's a personal thing.
0: All right. Uh, just, uh, just, we got about 10 minutes left in your opinion. Uh, have we gotten more partisan locally, federally? If yes, why is that healthy or unhealthy at all levels?
3: More partisan in comparison to what, um, the election between John Adams and, and Thomas Jefferson was quite partisan. I don't think we've seen anything like that. But uh, more more recently, yes, I believe the country as a whole is getting more partisan. Uh, unfortunately, it seems that our uh, national legislators are starting to work like a um, a parliament without the constraints of a parliament. In other words, we're getting parties who are always voting the party. Everybody in the party is voting this way. Everybody in the other party is voting a different way, which sounds like the English parliament without the ability to have a vote of no confidence. Um. I have been asking myself for probably the last 10 years whether or not our democratic system as we know it is going to be able to survive the growth in, in social media uh, or will social media change our process. Um, I don't have an answer to that. It's just the question that I've had.
2: Yeah, it really concerns me, uh, and it's not that we have become, and we have become, I believe, a 50-50 society. In other words, almost any issue, almost anything about half the people are for and half the people are against, and that's on, on almost all things, no matter where. Um, that, that is okay. That's not a terrible thing. It's how you, the discourse about it and that you follow uh, follow your people just because they're your people and not don't independently think about things we we don't independently think anymore we follow some other people and so we have to be very independent thinkers we also have to use good public discourse when we're disagreeing with those people that are on the other side those, it's, those are the two things that bother me about our 50 50 society. We don't know how to handle it very well, and we're becoming much, um, much coarser in our actions and our talk. And those things really bother me. Let's ask the political scientist what do you
0: think?
1: Well, it's very interesting. The truth is the media focuses on the partisan issues. This is a concern that the state legislators have every time they're on the cons- on the program which is that the vast majority of bills they pass actually do pass in a bi- bipartisan fashion. The same is true in Congress. We don't hear about those bills. What we hear about are the most controversial bills that are dividing people. And when we look in the electorate, a lot of the rhetoric that we hear is incredibly polarized, but when we look at the Congress, it's true that the moderates are gone, but about a third of the electorate claims to be independent. Now, as political scientists, we call them closet partisans or leaners because they behave much like a partisan. But the reality is they are looking for more of that common ground and not voting a straight party ticket. So the degree of polarization in the electorate actually is less than we tend to uh, perceive it. And that gives me a sense of hope in terms of social media, it will be what we make it. We need to teach people civic literacy. We need to teach them media literacy. And so we need to know how to do a reverse image search. We need to know how to, to look up something really quickly and, and Google it and, and use Snopes and, and uh, factcheck.org and PolitiFact to say, oh, wait, this is a bogus story that's being recycled. And we need to stop spreading fake news. And there are some really easy steps that you can take. Uh, There's an initiative through the National American Democracy Project called Digipo, Digital Polarization Project, that has sites where you can practice these skills. And it doesn't take very long. But check and make sure that you are not part of that problem in spreading divisive and false narratives. And so it will be uh, what we all do if you're using the internet and that technology wisely, as we see that you are trying to do, or you're doing with Vote 411, right? There are, there are incredible democratizing potential of the internet if we use it wisely and don't just get um, fooled by trolls and Russian bots.
0: So Dr. Benian, then are, are you saying less than a partisan issue, we have an internet and media education issue?
1: Absolutely. I think that's the case. And uh, whether it's online or in person, I see that. So I teach a political controversies course. We discuss death penalty. We discuss immigration reform, gun control. I do pre-assessments with my students. I will intentionally put card-carrying NRA members with Moms Demand Action volunteers in the same group. And guess what? They actually come up after reading multiple perspectives, after having a list of 30 different policy options. You hear them say things like, Oh, I'd never thought about that before. Or, oh, now I can see why someone might feel that way. And they come up with some forms that they agree on, even though they went into that room assuming they would disagree. The other difference there is they have talked about logical fallacies ahead of time, so they've sharpened their critical thinking skills, and they've developed somewhat of a relationship. And when somebody's a real person rather than just a partisan caricature, you're much more likely to actually Uh, be open to that dialogue and discussion and to compromise and our elected officials certainly could be doing a better job modeling that for our nation.
0: And I think that gets a little bit at the heart of why we do what we do here. You're sitting around tables, you're having meals together. We do this twice a week at the PAC center, not in the conversation like this, but we have community meals because it is, it's, it's by breaking bread together. It's by, um, you know, doing all of these things that we learn that we're probably more alike than we are different, even though we might have some core differences on policy. um, Most people I've met want the same things out of this world. So we'll end with this question. We end with this question every time. Um, And we'll start with you, Sam. What brings you hope?
3: My grandson. Um, I guess I look... At myself and say, okay, you've lived a large percentage of your life. I look at my grandson who is getting started in college um, as a very good education and um, seems to be on his way through life. And I think when I look at most of the young people that Um, they're in the same boat. And to me, the future is always with the younger folks, and it's good to see good ones coming along.
0: Dr. Benjamin, what brings you hope?
1: Well, I would say two things. Number one, the more that I meet state and local officials and hear them, even during the debate, say, if you're here to hear us tear each other apart, apart, you've come to the wrong place. That gives me hope because I have legislators who are among the most liberal and most conservative in that state legislature, and they come to the program and there are places where they agree and they talk about bills that they've worked on together. So that gives me hope that what we see on the TV in terms of the high profile disagreements is not really characteristic of all of our politics and then certainly uh, young people who are getting involved, getting engaged, deciding that they want to make their voices heard. This, vo- this group has always voted at a lower rate than other age groups, but we are starting to see a lot of political involvement. And regardless of whether I agree with a particular thing that they do, we voting is habit-forming, political engagement is habit-forming, so it's important that folks start getting engaged now and feel that passion to make their voices heard and uh, make a difference.
0: Great. Jim, what brings you hope?
2: I agree. <laughs> um, it, to me, Sam's it, grandson brings it, you hope? It, it is, yes. It is the youth, the next generation. Uh, I think many of the things we talked about aren't going to change quickly. But I think uh, the youth and the next generation will begin to see uh, the world a little differently than we see it and literally um, make positive changes um, for them and then for generations that follow them. Uh, I I think it is the youth and the next generation uh, that brings me hope. Thank you. Uh, can you uh, thank the panel again for a great night, for
0: really great, robust conversation? And I'll end with this. Um, I, I, I believe in the political process. I believe that most of us here could sit around a table and figure out resolutions to most things that we're both happy with, that we're all happy with. Um, so learn to love your neighbors well. Learn to talk well to your neighbors. Be civil to people that disagree with you. Be kind. We try to model here at this church. uh, We say that we are embodying a just and generous expression of the Christian faith because we believe um, that that's what communities need. And so um, thank you for being here. Thank you for being a part of that. You guys bring me hope that uh, people are here and people are listening and watching um, that care. And the more people we have care, um, the more people that care in a community, the better communities are. I wanna thank some of our local officials that are here. Uh, Jim Pressel, who is our state rep, is right over here. Thank you so much for being here, Jim. Um, uh, Lisa Pierzakowski, who is the Center Township Trustee, is here. Thank you so much for being here, Lisa. Uh, Jim Dermody's over here. Jim um, is uh, running for mayor of LaPorte in 2019. Um, So the idea that it starts in January, uh, Jim took that a year in advance and he's now been running for a year. Um, Tom, sorry, Tom, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Jim Jim is my, oh, here's the funny thing is, Jim is my former principal and it's his brother. And I was afraid of Jim and I'm not afraid of Tom at all. Um, so thank you so much, Tom, for being here. Thank you so much for for everyone being here. Again, um, all of this will be uploaded on uh, iTunes. We'll have the video uploaded on uh, Facebook very soon and YouTube. Um, subscribe to the podcast. Be listening to our Summer Friends podcast as well. And we hope to see you back here in January. So thanks for being here.